last week we said that we don't rise to the loftiness of our goals, but fall to the effectiveness of our systems. And so in 2021, we want to implement a system in our lives designed to help us get 1% better every day at following Jesus. We said 1% might not sound like a big deal, but small changes can have a huge impact in time. We were reminded of God's counsel to Zechariah, to those returning from exile. He began by saying this in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. He says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. While getting 1% better every day sounds great, if you're like most people, your new goals for 2021 won't last through Valentine's Day. The reason our goals fail is due largely to two factors. First, we don't have a good system in place to maximize our improvements, which we'll explore next week. And two, our goals aren't usually tied closely enough to our preferred identity. But let's say you're on break at work and you step outside for some fresh air and you see a coworker offer two guys a cigarette. The first guy says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. And the second guy responds, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. You've probably heard responses like this in real life, but let's unpack the belief uh, system that's associated with these responses. You see, the crazy thing is the first guy believed he was still a smoker trying to quit, whereas the second guy no longer identified as a smoker at all. He saw himself as a different person altogether. And I think this is kind of what Paul was hinting at when he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. You see, the problem is we tend to look at people, including ourselves, with eyes calibrated to the world's perspective. However, when we begin to follow Jesus, our identity changes. We are a new creation, and we should begin to see everything, and that includes ourselves, with fresh eyes. Many times our good goals fail because that's all they are, good goals. Once we lose the weight, finish the book, or get the degree, what comes next? We typically move on to something else and we put the weight back on, we start playing video games again, and we don't do anything with the degree we earned. Too often, our goals fall short because we have the same mentality as the guy trying to quit smoking. Our goals don't quite go far enough because they aren't really tied to the kind of person we want to become. If our goals and resolutions are to stick, they must become habits that are linked to our identity. And I would tell you this, our identity change begins and ends with our hearts. When we have a change of heart, our desires change and our identity follows closely behind. Consequently, transformation of the human heart is one of the main themes found throughout the pages of the Bible. As God was bringing his people into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, he said this through Moses, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. Solomon offered this bit of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Reflecting on his sin with Bathsheba and the, the weight of his guilt, David cried out in Psalm 51:10, saying, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Another translation says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. David is asking 
both for a new heart and a new spirit. And this request for renovation of his entire mental and moral nature is because he recognized how depraved he was. While his people wallowed in exile, racked with the weight of their sin and, and longing for home, God promised this through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. In each of these instances, a change uh, of heart was the catalyst for a changed life, which seems obvious, but that's not usually the way we approach making changes to the way we live. As Westerners, we typically first associate change with a shift in our thinking, not in our feeling. In his book, You Are What You Love, James Smith poses a really important question. He said, what if instead of starting from the assumption that human beings are thinking things, we started from the conviction that human beings are first and foremost lovers? The point Smith makes throughout the book is simply that we assume that people change through learning different facts, when in reality, we actually grow and mature most through loving different things. And the truth is, you probably know this experientially. Think back to when you were young, unmarried, and 20-something, right? Like most people that age, you probably stayed out late and spent your money on nonsensical sorts of things, right? What about after you got married? I'd be willing to bet that most of us stopped staying out quite so late and spending quite so much money on meaningless stuff. Why? Our identity and our hearts changed. Our love for our new spouse trumped the desire we had for the old way of living. Think back to when your first child was born. The same thing probably happened then as well. You probably stopped taking so many weekend trips to the lake and, and going out for movies on Friday nights, and you probably stopped going to you know, really fancy restaurants on the regular. Maybe you even traded in your nice little sports car for a minivan or a station wagon. Well, why? Did the lake stop being relaxing and, and nice restaurants stop being delicious? Well, no. Someone just came along, came into your life that you happen to love more than those things. When we fell in love, we got married and our identity changed. And when our identities changed, our behavior followed suit. You fell in love with your child the moment you laid eyes on them, and consequently, you purchased a minivan, not because you loved minivans, but because you loved your child and you wanted to keep your kids safe. We are not just thinkers. In fact, we are primarily lovers. And that shouldn't surprise us because we are made in God's image. And God's Word tells us that God is love. 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. The point is, identity change begins and ends with our hearts. When we have a change of heart, our desires change and our actions follow closely behind. The million-dollar question that we have to wrestle with is this, do we really love what we think we love? In the film Stalker by the Russian filmmaker Andrea Tarkovsky, story is told of an expedition led by a figure known as Stalker, who takes his two clients, a writer seeking inspiration and a professor seeking scientific discovery, to a mysterious restricted zone 
where there exists a room which grants each person's innermost desire. Now on the surface, <laughs> this might sound amazing, right? And because this is church and we're Christians and we want to follow Jesus, we would say that Jesus is what we desire most. He's our deepest desire. But what if we've played around with our faith for so long that we've even started to fool ourselves? What if our deepest love wasn't what we hoped it was? What if we actually desired something that was a little bit darker, a little more selfish, a little more carnal? This is certainly possible, and it's a little bit terrifying, but it's absolutely possible. Jesus said this to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 2. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you fall and repent and do the things you did at first. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable that's pretty familiar to us. It's the parable of the sower. In verses 1 through 9, he tells the parable, and then later in verses 18 through 23, he explains its meaning. Jesus explains that the seed is sown on different surfaces and only one of the four surfaces produces any fruit. He tells the disciples that the seed represents the Word of God and the surfaces represent the conditions and receptivity of our hearts. Here's the funny thing. If, if you're like most people, you'll read verses 1 through 9, skip verses 10 through 17, and jump all the way to verses 18 through 23 to get the meaning of the parable. But it's in these often overlooked verses that I, I want to wrap things up this morning. You see, in verse 10, the disciples ask a really, really good question. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. I think what Jesus is explaining to the disciples about life change is this. First, it's a matter of the heart, which is the point of the parable. And second, life change also takes effort. It's hard. You really have to want it. If your heart isn't in it, so to speak, you'll probably continue on your way with your fingers in your ears and your eyes shut tight. Lots of people showed up to hear Jesus teach, but only a fraction of them were actually changed. I think that's what we glean from verses 10 through 18. If reading our Bibles and praying regularly are just goals to check off a list, we won't be changed. If these are tasks to be performed rather than a means of deepening our relationship with our Creator and our Savior, we'll probably not look much different. On the other hand, when we fall in love with the real Jesus and our identity becomes firmly rooted in what He has done for us and what He desires to do through us, we are on the verge of life change. We don't develop the habits of reading God's Word and praying 
to check boxes off some non-existent spiritual inventory. We read and study to keep our hearts in alignment with Jesus, to recognize and value the things that He values. We study and pray to avoid the deceitful traps of our enemy. He'd love nothing more than to seduce our hearts and, and, and cause us to sin and warp our identities. The first question that Jesus asked his would-be disciples in John chapter 1 is the perfect place to end things this morning. In John chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus asked them, what do you want? He didn't ask them what they believed or even what they knew. He asked them, what do you want? What we want, what we desire, reveals a ton about ourselves. So what is it that you really want? Do you want to get through the Bible in a year or do you want to become someone who loves hearing from God? Do you want to pray more often or do you want to become the type of person who loves talking to God? Do you want to fix your family and your neighbors and, and set them all straight or do you want to be the kind of person that helps people fall in love with the real Jesus? Perhaps before you can help someone else fall in love with him, you need to do so yourself. Maybe today is the day you make the most important decision of your life. Repenting of our sins, being baptized, is a way of publicly identifying with Jesus as our hope and our Savior. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. If you've never identified with Christ and handed your life over to Jesus and had your sins washed away, that invitation is open to you today. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at lincolnhillschristian.com. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way that you love us, for the way that you have pursued us in Christ, and we just ask that you help us to fall more in love with you. Father, whatever our deepest desires might be, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will weed out the things that are competing for our love so that we might love you the most. Father, our prayer that as we love you the most, our actions will change and we'll be able to um, glorify you by the way that we live and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Father, we love you and thank you for all the things that you've done for us and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.